0: podcast
1: welcome to episode 15 of the full disc aviation podcast the podcast for all things aviation and aviation photography i'm nick moore and we're back with our regularly scheduled podcast i want to take a moment to thank all of you for tuning into the aviation conversations We had a great time working on this with our friends at Mud Spike Aviation, and we hope that you enjoyed the content as well. I'm sure you're tired of my voice by now, so I'm going to turn the reins over to Nick Pascarella and the Canyon Sherpa himself, Mr. Mike Henry, as they interview a pilot and photographer that gets to wear a spacesuit while doing both of these things. Take it away, boys. I'm here with my dude, Mike Henry, today. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. Sweet. We've got a super special guest today. This guy checks off all the boxes. He's a military pilot, he's a hell of a photographer, and he's extreme. I don't know what more you would need to get stoked about this, but uh, welcome to the show, a dragon lady tamer himself, Extreme Ross. How are you, dude? Hey, not too bad. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. First off, you doing all right? You and your people doing okay during all this madness?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, doing a a lot of uh, homeschool hell right now, so uh, Mm. yeah, doing a I got two uh, two boys that are in in first grade, twin boys. And, Whoa! Yeah, trying to uh, teach them Common Core math. That's been my my hell lately. But yeah, uh, otherwise, yeah, no, we're we're doing
1: fun. That sounds a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that is is yeah. ridiculous. Dra- Dragon Lady has
0: nothing on
1: teaching Common Core math. Right? <laughs> I so, was gonna ask yeah. if they compare at all. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I guess before we get into that, do uh, you want to talk a little bit about where uh, where you came up? And I, I was actually born in Greenville, North Carolina. You were also born oh, right. in North Carolina, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was born in uh, a little town called Concord, and then uh, I grew up most of my life in a town called Lenore. So, uh, kind of on the western side of the state there, uh, cool. right in the foothills and the mountains. Right nice. There's Boone and Appalachian State, that area.
1: Cool. It's a beautiful area down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my, bro- my brother
0: actually went to uh, East Carolina, so hmm. uh, the
1: uh, that, that's where
0: Greenville, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he had, he did uh, nine long years there to get a bachelor's degree. So he <laughs> so, yeah, was well, partying. He did.
1: Well, if you if you stretch it, it just it's just the same fun for longer. So it's, exactly, exactly. I yeah. commend him. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's cool. I I see your. Uh, at four, you got your first flight. Is that what sparked the interest in flying?
0: Well, that, that, that was when it, it, I didn't actually fly myself. I, it, I got in a, a pasture plane. We, we actually had a, a trip. Uh, my grandparents lived in, uh, took a, uh, or my grandpa took a job in Kenya, Africa, and uh, they invited us over one summer. We spent about a month or so in Kenya, and so I actually took my first flight out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And, and uh, getting on getting on an Eastern Airlines uh, airplane, and I remember I, I told my dad then I said yeah I I want to fly when I grow up, but it just seemed too cool to me, the whole experience and everything. <laughs> so ever since then, yeah, I've been pushed into fly.
1: Did they encourage that, your parents? They,
0: oh yeah, yeah they uh, uh, they never had a problem with it. I I, I kind of yeah you know, at one point, I think when I was nine or 10, um, we went to my, my uncle's wedding out in Colorado and I got to see the Air Force Academy and I kind of decided then too, I'm like, I want to go here. And I, and I just, I was always kind of one of those growing up, like if, if that was my goal, you know, then, then I went for it. And basically I, I I just kind of kept that goal in mind. And uh, it was all kind of with the goal of, of eventually being able to fly. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I just, I just kept, kept pressing for that. You know, the parents were definitely supportive, uh, supportive of me, especially my dad. He, he really appreciated me trying to go to the Air Force Academy because that meant he wouldn't have to pay for college. But,
1: um,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, they, they were definitely uh, in full support uh, the whole time.
1: Was anybody in your family uh, military?
0: So my, my, uh, my dad uh, was Army National Guard in
1: North okay. Carolina.
0: Um, uh, my, my oldest brother, uh, is five years older. And he, he ended up, he actually enlisted right out of high school and he picked the worst time to do it because, uh, he had, he had decided that he, he wanted to go, he wanted to ski in college and he wanted to go to the university of Colorado. Then my dad's like, that's just not going to happen. Like I can't pay for out of state tuition. So my brother said, all right, I'll, I'll list in the army in three years. I'll go wherever I want. And, uh, so he did that in in the summer of 1990, and then oh. uh, yeah, two months later is when Saddam invaded Kuwait. Right. Suddenly so, I mean, he's an 18 year old in a you know a trench in uh, Kuwait, you know, my in, in goodness. Iraq. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so he it, that was really the the only uh, at least military in my immediate family. That my uh, my grandpa he he was actually flew in World War II. He was a volunteer. Whoa! Uh, on B 29s
1: Wow. Uh, and
0: and I didn't really know him that well. He died when I was pretty young, uh, but uh, he uh, uh, yeah he actually flew a lot of the missions in the Pacific over Tokyo, and uh, all that. So uh, it, it was it was pretty cool heritage to come from that uh, to see what he had done.
1: Man, did he yeah. did he pass anything along? Did he have any old photographs or flight logs or?
0: You know, and and uh, kind of the the kind of guy that he was, uh, he uh, he he kept a lot of that private. Um, there wasn't a whole lot, except for some mm. some squadron photos. Uh, he didn't really take anything in the in the aircraft, and I don't, I don't even know if they were allowed to or not. But um, yeah, he uh, I I know that it, it affected him quite a bit. Uh, especially doing all the firebombing and stuff like that. So,
1: right. Yeah. I mean, even my
0: dad said that, yeah, he rarely, you know, rarely talked about it. My dad was born a couple years after the war. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, like,
1: yeah,
0: he, he, it was just something he hardly ever brought up.
1: Man, I, I can certainly understand why that was, uh, that was some rough stuff. Um, Apparently, I, I hear stories of you being able to, to smell the burning flesh at altitude.
0: I, like yeah, it, and they, and they, I, I, I think at one time he was talking about, you know, there's the terrible terrible turbulence mm-hmm. uh, just due to all the, the, the updrafts, you know. Right. And, uh, so, uh,
1: man, things like that. Whew, intense. Well, uh, you <laughs> not, made not it through I'm not to put on it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's up? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you made it to your first flight, uh, at Lower Creek Grass Field at age 16, right?
0: Yeah, it was, you yeah, my, my parents knew that I, I wanted to fly and I, I wanted to try it out. And, uh, uh, so we had a little, it was just a, it wasn't, not even really a full airport, just kind of a grass strip. They had a, a windsock and a couple planes parked at it. And, uh, um, I went out as a little Cessna 150 and, uh, uh, I was 16 and I got to uh, go out and try it out I, and you know I only got about four or five hours at it we, we really didn't it was you know we just really didn't have the money to me to keep it up and uh, but I remember I was kind of disappointed because I I'd always dreamed about being able to fly and all and, and you know of course played video games growing up and stuff and and I found out that man, there's a lot more to this and I'm not as good at it as I, I thought it was just going to be this, this natural. And like the instructor was just gonna be like, Oh my God, you were born to fly, you know? And I was just like, man, this, this is tough crap, you know? Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, it, it didn't, it didn't ruin it for me. It just kind of, it was kind of reality check that, yeah, there's, there's a lot more to this than, uh, that I thought from all the video games that I played
2: growing uh, up, or something. Yeah, a little bit different. How how did it feel though, getting off the <laughs> ground the first time when you're pulling back the yoke?
0: I, you know, it, it's uh, it really is you know one of those uh, just indescribable feelings of uh, I don't know, when you're actually in control and now you're you're actually making your body move through the air in three dimensions. You know, it's uh, it's just you know, I, I still get like tingly when when even now you know i i at 737 and you know it still kind of gives me you know that, that, those goosebumps you know, when i take off from the plane and get that rush of leaving the ground um you know i think it it was there then and you know and i still get it today too
2: that is awesome yeah
1: that's cool i do as well i rarely fly <laughs> though <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i know right now
0: i'm not flying a whole lot cuz i'm on, i'm on reserve basically since we've cut our schedule back like 90 percent um so um a lot a lot of time at home though which is good but like i said common core math
2: common
1: core <laughs> yeah more time to yeah to teach the boys
0: yeah exactly
1: about airplanes
0: yeah that's what that's what i need to be teaching me you know, something useful right <laughs> are they
2: interested in airplanes is is that something that they're aware of that that's what that's you what know, you do I, and that's I, what you I, so,
0: I i haven't taken them out to like go flying yet and you know uh, it, it's something i do want to do with them uh i really think that they they probably would uh would really enjoy it um but uh yeah the, the one one of my boys that so he even for now about three or four years has just been in love with everything army tanks and stuff like that Man. and you know and and you know my wife's like she's like well you know it's like he's only seven don't worry those things pass i'm like i'm like all right i was four when i decided i was gonna fly airplanes.
2: <laughs> so
0: you know she's like yeah you're right you better start working on him there getting that you know. and, no he, he is uh uh i i think i think he would definitely be interested um yeah,
1: once I pick it off flying. Um, it's kind of hard not to be interested once you're kind of like around them, at least being a young boy from all the young boys I know and being one at one point, well, I guess now, um, I still feel like I'm a young boy yeah. half the time, especially when I get around airplanes, but, you know. Yeah, same here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I still stop and look up at the sky whenever I hear something that doesn't sound like a car. I'm right. always looking up and around.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I live, you know, where I live in Lincoln, I'm right near the airport, so there's tons of planes flying over us all the time, and, uh, you know, the uh, there, there's even the, <laughs> we have the, the planes from the Lincoln Airport in their pattern, and then the arrival into Sacramento flies, goes right over our house, so, you know, up at about 8,000 feet or so, you got 737s flying right over the house, and then a lot of times the planes, it, from Beale that go back and forth to Mather, they go right over our house too. So we have this like crisscross of all kinds of different planes that go right over our house.
1: That sounds yeah. awesome.
0: Pretty cool. That is yeah.
2: pretty cool. I think because I, I live near Beale, and you know, growing up here too, um, you know, obviously I'm old enough to, you know, the SR seventy one was, you know, a very it was an everyday occurrence here. Yeah. Never got sick of it. But I think I don't know if they've like modified the flight plan to where they don't go over Grass Valley as much as they used to, but it used to be SR seventy ones and U twos all day. Oh, and yeah. every now and again I'll see a T thirty eight rarely. And it seems like the U twos go over pretty high.
0: Yeah. Um I you know, for for my time there that the we had uh we had started making that part around Nevada City Grass Valley as kind of our training area with U twos, but we're up at about fifteen thousand feet. Uh when when we're doing kind of low altitude flight characteristics and stalls and things like that, that was, uh, that was kind of the area worked out with FAA. Um, so, you know, you may have you know, may be able to hear the roar of the engine sometime when we're doing, you know, stall recovery and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it, it was rare to ever fly over, uh, grass valley at low altitude to, you know, leave. and sometimes I do it in T38 when, you know, we'd go out and, uh, um we we had several like uh VFR stereo plans where, you know, we we just have to pilot with the you know, pilot with the tower just the to VFR like mountain view or whatever, and a lot of times those would kinda go either over Auburn or Grass Valley, um, you know, or come back that way. So
1: so you mentioned flying the T thirty eight. Um the U two is probably uh like the complete and total counterpoint to that as far as like, I, I, I mean, I guess at least just wing shape and size at the very least. Um, yeah. What was that transition like going from, you know, the, the pointy nose of a rocket to essentially a powered glider?
0: You know, it was, uh, I put a a thing, a little thing on this on my last Instagram post, but it's, uh, you really couldn't find two different aircraft. Yeah, and, and, yeah, the flight characteristics, the characteristics were, yeah, completely, completely different. I mean, it, you know, T-38 were, you know, you're taking off, uh, lifting off 160 knots or so, going immediately to 300 knots. which flew everywhere, you know, 300 or 300 plus knots. And, uh, you know, you start getting slower than 250, you're starting to, you know, struck to buck to fall into the sky, you know, <laughs> where the, the U-2, we'd have to actually put in a special configuration to even take it up 240 knots. And, uh, <laughs> so normally, you know, the, the U-2, when you're flying in a pattern, you're, you never get faster than 130 knots. Wow. You know, and you're, you're landing, you know, at 75 to 80 knots. Um, so it, it, so very different as far as like the, you know, what you're doing to actually fly. The, the thing that the thing that, w- that I guess I kind of uh, enjoyed about it and appreciated about having to switch back and forth is it, it really always kind of kept you on the game. Mm. And so, you know, and there would be days where you'd literally fly U2 in the morning, and then maybe a T38 in the afternoon. Wow. And, uh, the uh, you know, sometimes you even drive a chase car on there all on the same day, you know. Um, but uh, the, uh, it, I think uh, trying to stay proficient in two two totally different aircraft, it really made you think about what you're doing, what you're about to step into, you know, because you you could not stay, you cannot get complacent. Yeah, you know? and uh, I mean, one of the hardest things with like with the T thirty eight is, uh, you know, it it was kind of easy to kind of take the attitude of, well, you know, this is kind of our secondary thing, all that, but but then you you realize that this thing can kill me just as quick as anything else. So, um, you know, and, and frequently you're, you're when, when I was actively deploying a lot with you too, is, you know, you're deploying two months at a time, sometimes three months, and then you're coming home uh, back to Beale and they're like, okay, we'll get you recurrent in a T-38 again, and, and you know, you maybe get about 10 flights in it or so before you go deploy again. You know, and and so it, it was hard to ever feel like you were really uh, on top of it. So you had to you had to stay in the books. You had to chair flat, you know, because it. Uh, there were times I got in got in it and kind of scared myself because I'm like, I'd have one of those mo- those brain fart moments where I'm you know, <laughs> uh, I suddenly I'm like wait okay. <laughs>
1: Reaching yeah. for a handle that's not re- there. Yeah,
0: you know, I and I did it. I did it one time, uh, and uh, starting up the engine with that. Right, doing one of the, the, the post-engine, you know, startup checks, and I reached and pulled. A hand, I'm like, I don't know why I just pulled that, but you know, that was uh, the emergency gear release handle, and now I gotta shut down. You, know? <laughs> <And, laughs> you know, and it you know it was just one of those like, oh, man, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, okay, my head obviously wasn't screwed on. Uh, you know, stepping out to the jet. And, uh, you know, and, th- and those things happen, you, uh, you find, a pu- you know, and, and, uh, and all the pilots would admit to it. It's like you, uh, you suddenly you, you get back from a flight and, uh, you realize you'd never unpin the seat or something like that. Um, <laughs> and I know, I know, that that, that's cost people their lives. You know, even just, I think last year that was a cause in an accident, yeah. uh, not, not a deal, but, uh, you know, another T-38 incident, but yeah, the, uh, um, you know it's just it, it flying two totally different aircraft it really try, it really kind of kept your head in the game and it, and it made you a better aviator i think and you know it really improved your uh, out
1: there that's cool i was going to ask if you felt like it uh kept you sharp in a way that um i just from a relevant experience i know that uh in college i had to work really hard at music theory because i just played everything by ear so i had to really yeah. really pay attention and i I got like B pluses and was very proud of that, like A minus B pluses. And these whiz kids who had done, you know, music theory their entire lives were sitting beside me, not studying, looking off into space. And they would be getting like failing grades. So I don't know if there was any sort of correlation between you do something enough, you get complacent and forget certain things. But like you were saying, you switch back and forth between two different, two wildly different airframes.
0: Yeah.
1: um, Having to focus on the mundane essentials of each task. Um, do, Do you think that kept you sharp? I,
0: I I think so, um, and uh, you know I I think if 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 there could be any any similarity, it was, you know, the the teeth. Everything happened very fast in the t thirty eight, right? You know, and uh, just you know, flying a, just an instrument pattern would you know take you, you know, even going out to twelve mile final, you know, the whole thing would take you like three or four minutes, maybe you know, from, <laughs> from 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 touch and go back, back in, you know, and the final, you know, so every you have to, you have to be on top of it. You have to, you can't just be like, well, let me, let me think about this approach now. I'm like, Oh, yeah, approach is over. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and in, in, in where the U2 wasn't fast like that, it was, it was fast in the, your, your cross check when you, when you were, everything had to be so precise, you know, especially in some of our emergency patterns, like your speed and everything it had to be, had to be spot on and so you're you're cross-check even though you're you're flying 80 90 knots it had to be you know exactly pretty much spot on and it took it took so much concentration and 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 it was it was kind of a similar feeling even though i'm going slower it's like i'm having to stay up with this jet because once it starts going away i I can't get it i can't get it back in the right parameters to land go around uh and so it, it was it was kind of similar in that same way. You had you had to work your mind had to be, you know, quick
1: and work full time. Totally get that. Um Well, I guess going back to I guess sort of the beginning, uh, at the Air Force Academy in Colorado, um, you soloed uh, in a glider. You were also told that you didn't have the eyesight to be a pilot?
0: Yeah. Um, and, and I knew, I knew going into the Academy, I knew that what the pilot qualification was, and I believe it was 2070, um, uncorrected, correctable to 2020 and you had to have a certain refractive error. And I was one of those, like, I could go and I could barely read the eye chart at 2070. Um, you know, just trying to squint, you know, and this is just with <laughs> one, one eye as well. I, one of my eyes is 2020 and, um, if if I just totally don't squint or anything like anything like that, the other has about twenty two hundred. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: I, I don't know why that was how I was how I was bored, and uh, but uh, so I could barely read the twenty seventy, and then but then I would do that little machine that would check your refractive error, and it was like off the chart. Like like okay, even if you can read that, you're still not public qualified because your refractive error. So I was told <laughs> before I went there, you know, by a doctor, he's like. He's like, I don't know what you're going to do there, but you're certainly not going to be a pilot. And um, and then once I got there, they said, okay, yeah, you're, you're not pilot qualified either. So I um, I was always kind of hoping, you know, I'm like, oh, I can I could probably be a navigator. I know navigators sometimes transition over, and uh, I still wanted to be involved with aviation. Um, but you know, my my backup plan uh, if I wasn't going to be a navigator, I, I uh, I liked physics and uh, so i i became a physics major while I was there and, uh, and I was probably uh, probably going to be instead of going Navy, I was probably going to go be a physicist uh, with the Air Force uh, but in my last year we had so we you know Air, the Air Force had a pilot shortage and suddenly uh, the uh, the way that they, they allocate the number of pilot slots every year is like they would give like half the slots to the Air Force Academy. And then the other half would get distributed amongst all the other ROTC and stuff like that. And we had too many pilot slots, you know, for the number of people qualified in our class. And so they started handing out waivers like candy. So it was pretty much like, you want to fly, you're you're correctable to 2020. Then, okay, you're good to go. And, and I got that waiver. And then that was, that was the end of it. I got to select for pilot training and, uh, went to uh, Columbus, uh, Force Base after, um, after graduation,
1: cool. That worked out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was definitely. I mean, it was talking about good timing. You know, a, a couple years before, uh, guys who you know who were fully qualified, there weren't enough pilot slots to even cover all of them. So, um, yeah, it, there there have been a lot of kind of fortunate timing things for me, uh, and uh, that that was definitely biggest one. Was the biggest ones. The kind of a uh, at you know, worst the the luck of the timing kind of met with the, the opportunity to press ahead with with doing that.
1: Yeah. Did you um did you go for the U two or were you interested in something else? Was something else on your dream sheet?
0: So I, I, I knew nothing about the U two. Um, like I mean, it, it was when when I went to pilot training, there was it wasn't even on my radar. Uh I think it was something I had heard of. I didn't even know it was still flying really. <laughs> uh, so uh when I went to pilot train I was uh I was flying T thirty sevens initially and I my dream was to fly the A ten. That was actually mm. my when I went in. I wanna I I wanna fly ten. If I don't fly that, I wanna fly F sixty. And uh the uh the whole way through uh through my uh you know, first six months in T thirty sevens, I was doing pretty well um, in pilot I was I was around number three in my class, and uh, uh, and then I went into my, my formation checkride, and and I did horrible. I I, <laughs> I got so many downgrades on it that I ended up uh, um, dropping to number number ten in the class. I think out of uh, <laughs> about thirty, and uh, and which meant I was not uh, I, I did not get T thirty eights. Uh, I ended up uh, getting T1s, and uh, I mean, I I was like, I was, that was one of the first times in my life, you know, I'd always been kind of one of these high-achieving types, you know, to press ahead and, and, uh, you know, do well in school and all that, and then, and this was like a a major, like, failure for me, I was like, oh my God, you know, and, you know, major depression, and, and I was like, you know, I'm not gonna, I, you know, my family and everything kind of helped me bounce back, uh, and uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to go to T ones. I'm going to, I'm going to kick ass, and I'm going to get whatever my top choice is out of T ones. And so I, uh, uh, so that's what I did. I went and uh, uh, I did well in T ones, and then I got the uh, uh, assignment nine, I got my top pick of flying C twenty one out of Germany. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, you know. I went, got the, the train up in the, the old Lear, and, uh, and then went over to Germany back then. It was 2001. And uh, that was actually the first time I actually found out about the U-2 was when I went to Germany and found out that we did, the C-21 did a mission to help support the U-2 um, mm-hmm. uh, down uh, out of uh, Akrotiri. And uh, so I uh, I... <laughs> I got to fly that mission uh, several times, where we went uh, basically picking up a big canister of wet film uh, from the U2, they, and yeah, they, they had a camera that uh, actually had a roll of film. It was like a two-mile roll of film, you know, weighed what? about 100 something pounds.
2: <laughs> That's and, so uh, insane. So
0: they, they would fly this this mission, uh, the uh, uh, which it was not a classified mission at all. It's the Olive harvest that. Uh, it was for the Camp David Peace Accords in mm. the Middle East area. And mm-hmm. uh, so they would fly that and then they land and they download the roll film and then they put it in a big canister and they put it on our jet on the C 21. And then we'd fly that back to Germany. And uh, then it's either developed there or sent back to the, the States. And uh, so I, I got to do that a couple of times. And, and, and I remember there was there was one pilot I was talking to. Uh, you know, well, we're waiting for everything. He had landed, um, and uh, I saw him after he had uh, after he had taken a shower and everything, and, and uh, was back in his flight suit. And um, I was just kind of like, "Hey, look, you know, just tell me anything about like what it was like up there and all that." And and he just he just said, "Man, you saw things you wouldn't believe." And uh, <laughs> so, you know, I was like, well, "That's cool," you know. And then he was like, he was like, "Well." Why don't, you know, Have you looked into it? Have you looked into to applying? And yeah, you know, I'm like, well, I, I don't, I don't really know much about it, and I figured I probably wouldn't, wasn't even qualified, anyways. And uh, so, uh, come to find out, you know, I the the U two is a very democratic system. Like, if they really don't hold anything against you as far as what you've flown. Um, you don't have to be a fighter guy. You don't have to be a bomber guy. You know, and if you meet the, whatever minimum requirements to apply, then you can apply. And then the, the big equalizer is when you come out to actually interview for you too, is so you have to fly And, uh, during the interview in the T-seater. Uh, um, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's the, that's where they separate out, you know, the men from the boys or so to speak. And, you know, and, um, yeah, you know, so I I eventually I got, got to apply. I, I met the minimum requirements, I put in an application. Uh and the thing that kind of helped me I think kind of smooth over things uh were the, I I tried to get on this mission that went down there uh in the C21. And uh I'd go to the store and buy some crates of some nice Belgian beer and stuff like that and I'd throw <laughs> that in the plane. And uh you know have you know peace offerings when I got there uh and uh you know suddenly I'm getting some good words for my application you know guys saying hey uh uh, Ross is pretty uh seems like a pretty good guy you should interview him and so forth so um so yeah so that that led to my my interview and and uh it was October of 2004 coming out and uh so I got did the did the interview. It's a it, By the way, it's a two week interview. So. Oh wow. Yeah, they bring you out for two weeks. Mine went a little bit longer because we had weather and maintenance delays. Hmm. Um, and uh, so mine went about two and a half weeks. But. Yeah, do it's. Yes, you, it's,
1: sorry, you multiple flights in the in the YouTube you, during that interview process. You you
0: do yeah it's it's three flights. Um, you know we call them the screening. Flights and interview flights, and uh, uh, it the way the way I describe because I, I the last four years I was in I, I did this as an instructor in formal training squadron, uh, and and by the way flying these interview flights the most terrifying flying I did in the air. Force. I was going to uh, ask. They because because the uh, cause, cause the U two is it just it makes you stupid. Um, yeah, I mean that in the best way, possible, But it, it makes you of where course. you feel like you you've, you're back to pilot training, flight one, and things are not. It's not controlling the way you think it should. You know, it's it's getting out of control really easy. The instructors having to step in constantly, the instructors having to take the landing. Uh, you know, or take the aircraft, or in the middle of the landing, just to keep the aircraft on the runway. You know, it, it really, it, it's a humbling experience for, you know, and every pilot that's coming is having, you know, has at least about a 1,000 hours. Uh, a lot of times, you know, 1,500, 2,000 hours. And, you know, and these are, you know, F-16 pilots and tanker pilots and guys that have flown B-1s and B-2s and things like that. And experienced. A very experienced, yeah, very experienced aviators. And that's that's probably the most common word after their first flight is, oh, my God, that that was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Uh, but uh, now you did the, gliders
2: at the academy. did Did that help at all? Did you have Did you fall back on any of that?
0: I, I'm sorry. Did I fall back on on
2: what? Uh, because you did gliders at the oh, academy.
0: Yeah. Um, there, is, there are, are there any
2: similarities, or is it still a different animal?
0: You know, I, I, a lot of people kind of describe it as like a big glider with you know with big engines or a big engine on it. Um. The uh, and you know I mean, I would have to say it it is because it's it because it's so big and you know and it, you know it weighs about you know even a light one weighs about twenty five thousand pounds. Um, it just there's so much inertia and in, with every movement you do um, that you have to you have to stay on top of. And I would say you know most of the, time the gliders are pretty responsive and stuff like that. The U2 is a you have to make it do everything you want to do, and then you have to stop it from doing all the things that it wants to keep doing. <laughs> and, um, you know, and the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put a, a video together. I, I have a lot of, like, uh, 360 VR videos and stuff I did for some training stuff, uh, some training videos in it, where you can you can kind of see during a landing how active you have to be on the controls. And it mm. is, I mean, just to fly the plane straight down final. Requires constant movement on the rudders and the yoke. Uh, the uh, you know, it's stopping every little rolling moment, but every time you input, put a aileron input, you have to input a rudder input. And uh, the uh, you'll see in there in the interviews, guys coming on final, and uh, they are uh, like you'll just see the plane just like waffling like a leaf out there, like, you know, it's, it's just wavering wings up, you know, right wing up left, you know, and, uh, it's just, it just looks like, oh my God. And, and if you look inside, like, you know, cause I, I've been the guy inside with that student. Um, and, uh, <laughs> the, the, the yoke is just frozen in place and it's like, that's like the plane is flying you, you're not flying the plane. And, uh, so it, I would say, you know, in the end, it, it's more like trying to wrestle a, a know a dragon or a, you know grabbing like a big big rig truck you know um <laughs> you know it's just uh you have to put, put uh sometimes you know sometimes you're, you're doing full aileron deflection just to keep the, the wings level wow. um and uh, and the slower you get the more <coughs> you know just the more uh, exaggerated movements you have to do you have to put on the controls um and then one of the most challenging things is that you know, once you, you land the plane, you know, so we these, these flights are, I, they're absolutely ball buster flights. That you, play. Uh, you do about 18 touch touching goods and, Whoa. and uh, <laughs> they, you know, one of these flights takes about two and a half hours and uh, the, uh, it just, uh, you never get, get a rest with it because even once you touch down, um, uh, and you get the plane under control on the runway, is it, you, you have a, this period where you have to clean up the flaps and this, the speed brakes and everything like that, and you have to do this while keeping the wings level, you know, and you're only rolling down the runway at about thirty or forty knots, and uh, and this whole time the wings are wanting to drop and they're wanting to hit, and and it <laughs> it just requires you know it's like you know the left wing starts going down, and you have to put in like full right aileron just to stop it but then you leave it in a little bit too long and now it starts rotating back to the right. Now the, now the right wing tip is down and now you got to put full left back in, you know, and the, uh, it, the thing that we, the thing that we're trying to check for on that during these three flights is, uh, if you can develop the muscle memory after three flights to, uh, to, uh, start, you know, to see those kind of, those deviations and correct, you know, it's like, uh, you know, and, and, you know, after instructing a lot, uh, a lot of people, um, you know, everything in aircraft comes down to, you know, seeing a deviation happen and then fixing it, you know, correcting it before it becomes a problem, you know. And, um, you know, everything from airspeed and to where you're at to wings level or whatever, you know, kind of has you're trying to be. Um, and the U-2 has just required that, like I was saying, that very fast cross check. And initially, guys didn't have that at all, and yeah, you know, first first flights usually pretty much a disaster. That's why guys feel so dejected. But it, it was surprising after three flights how you know how much muscle memory these guys would develop um, to to where suddenly they're they're flying a jet. You know, they still may still may land like absolute shit, uh, <laughs> but uh, and <laughs> that was something we, we uh, you know. We, we, never, we weren't expecting guys by the end of the third flight to be able to take one of these jets out and solo it. Um, but, you know, it wanted you to basically be able to fly around the pattern and be, bring it safely down to the ground, even if it doesn't look pretty, you know, where it's it's never really, you know, in doubt whether, uh, you know, the plane's going to be in a safe position. And, uh, you know, and we, and we did that because... You know, U2, is, there's, there's, it's a very finite resource, right? So um, when guys come back for training, once you actually, if you're accepted in, you actually, yeah, you, you move to Beale, um, you have to get qualified in the T-38 first. Um, and then when you start the U2 training, for real, uh, you do about a month of ground school. Um, but once you start flying, it is fast and furious. And from the time you your first flight back qual- yeah, to qualify, uh and so you are a full mission ready pilot ready to go say fly you know fly alone over Syria or something like that or fly a jet across the ocean um, the uh, the time you know from that first qualification flight to fully mission ready is only twenty two flights and, wow. uh, so you know I, and you know and I would tell guys when I in the interview if I was their assigned instructor like uh, so you'd spend a lot of time with with your assigned instructor and do a lot of things and stuff but I'd tell them like, Hey, you know, I, if I were, if I was given 50 flights, I could turn most people into a YouTube pilot, but I only have 22 flights. So, you know, I have to see, you know, a certain level of progression, you know, cause it's a pretty steep learning curve and, and the learning curve just doesn't, it doesn't stop. You know, you don't reach a certain point. Okay. Yeah. We're just, all the flights are going to be like this from now on out. It's every, you're like learning something new every single flight. And so it, it's really kind of check, like, you know, one, it, it gives them a good taste of, like, here's what your life is going to be like as a YouTube that Here's what it's like flying this plane. Um, and, you know, and so it, in some ways, uh, the interviews is almost as much for, for the the interviewee, you know, to just, to see whether they want to actually do this uh, as it is for us to see whether, you know, a person that we want in the community. That makes
2: is like do they just self eliminate themselves? Like yeah, no, I don't yeah. want to fly this.
0: Yeah, we, and 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 it, and it's something like we we totally appreciate when guys do that, you know. And it because um, you know there's nothing worse than than you know and and it and it has happened. And I don't fault the guys. Some guys you decide you know they after they've they've done the, the jet for a while, like hey you know this this I thought it was gonna be different. It's really just not for me. Um, but yeah, if if guys can identify that in the in the interview it's like we're totally cool with it and you know it saves a lot of resources on our part and uh, you know, it, it helps us you know identify the people that really want to be in the community and because it, it is a, it's it's a tough plane. it's all volunteer you know we're not forcing anybody to come do this and sit in a spacesuit you know and, and fly for 10 or 12 hours in a spacesuit it's it it has to be something you have to want to do
2: that kind of brings me to at least to my my question. Um, so there's it's a very small community. Not a lot of people have flown that aircraft. I remember just a couple of years ago they hit you know a thousand and they made a pretty big deal about it here locally.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, where are you at? And where's the community? Is it over eleven hundred now? Twelve hundred? I, I don't
0: think we're eleven hundred. We are over ten fifty. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I. It's been a little. It's been about six months or so since I've been to a solo party of the deal, but um, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's up in the 1050s or 1060s now, but um, I, I was number 803. Um, I ended up soloing, and it was August of 2005, and uh, so I, I, I wanted to be number 801, but because uh, I, I, there were three people in my class, uh, all kind of, that went through ground school together, and then we were doing our flights together, and I was I was set up to be number eight hundred one, and then I failed my flight right before solo, and uh, there was kind oh. of a mini mini check ride, you know that says safe to solo, and and I failed that, uh, pretty much right off the bat, bad bad no flap landing, and, uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, and I knew I failed it. I'm like, oh crap, yeah, so yeah, so then my my classmates sold you know, the day or two for me, but, you know, um, but yeah, it was funny. I, t- I tell students, you know, cause it, it would happen to, uh, it would happen to students, you know, when, when I was an instructor in the last few years and, you know, suddenly that, you know, someone else is soloing before then and stuff. I'm like, I'm like, don't worry. I mean, you know, after, after, you know, almost, you know, 14 years, I I've, I've almost forgotten about me, you know, my, my failure, you know, I'm sure you'll almost forget about it too. After
2: 14 years. So. <laughs> sharp so going forward, right? Forgotten.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> well, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up photography here a little bit. Um, I'd like to call attention to that that article on the uh, your award-winning shots from the eclipse, which are incredible. Um, I know that uh, at least speaking on regards of most of the photographers listening. Uh, I think we all understand and can relate to that sinking feeling when you bump a switch inadvertently and come out with a batch of photos that are just complete and total garbage. But yeah. I can't, you know. I, looking back on my own experiences, um, I didn't have the excuse of having my head in a fishbowl or my hands in <laughs> oven mitts trying to turn a jet eighty thousand feet in the air into the totality of an eclipse. So I was wondering what else you were after as far as photography on that flight
0: you know i i uh you know the the, the biggest thing that i that i kind of missed uh well, there, there were there were two things really um uh, and, and first of all i just try to do too much but the uh <laughs> the uh you know one i i never really used a zoom lens in the in the jet before and uh you know, cause it, generally most of my photography is like, you want to see the nice wide, you know, the black sky, the kind of mm-hmm. curvature of the earth and all that. That's, you know, that's kind of what you know defines the photography from YouTube. You, you want to see that world, you know, where a zoom lens generally, it's like, okay, I don't need to zoom in on the ground from 70,000 feet. That really isn't, I don't think makes good photos and stuff. So I never really used it, but I had this idea in my head that, um, so I borrowed a, uh, one of the public affairs guys' camera, and he had a 400 millimeter uh, zoom lens. And so I, I just haven't used a zoom much. And I did go out and practice, you know, the day before uh, the flight with the sun, trying to take uh, take some photos uh, using a solar filter. And you know, and I, I kind of you know going outside holding the camera. I'm like, I'm trying to kind of simulate like what I'm gonna have to do in the cockpit. You know, I know I, with the, the fishbowl in my head, I can't bring the camera like up my eye. Uh, I'm gonna have to use the the LCD screen in the back, and uh, you know, and kind of freehand it. And uh, so I, you know, I, I'm I'm sitting there, I'm playing with you know using the LCD screen, and I have the solar filter on it, and and you know, I got where okay, okay, I can actually I can, you know, if I just maneuver it so the the big bright dot is in the middle of the LCD screen and you know, do the shutter release. I kind of, and it took several times to figure out. Okay, what, what's going to give me a properly exposed photo? And so I kind of noted those, those settings, and uh, you know. So, so the big thing was just like, you know, when you're looking through a, a zoom lens, it, I mean, you're basically looking through a soda straw. So, finding your subject is the biggest thing. Right. And uh, you know, and when you have a, uh, you're trying to shoot the sun and you have that solar filter on, like everything is black until, <laughs> until the sun is in, in view of it, you know? So, um, you know, and, and I think if I had played with it a little bit more, I might've realized that, you know, that, that switch on the back that changes between your LCD screen between uh, a photo taking LCD screen and a movie making one uh, really drastically changes what, what what it looks like in there, and that's what you know. That was what happened on the flight. Um, and the other thing I didn't didn't really consider was you know this this lens is pretty long, and uh, even though I'm not holding up to my face, like I still have to uh, I still have to be able to see the LCD screen at least, um, and you know so when you have the, the U two canopy. Uh, you know, I, it, when the sun was kind of lower, it was pretty easy to be able to actually uh, hold up the, the, the zoom lens, find the sun in the, uh, on the screen, you know, with my head kind of pulled all the way to the side and, and release the shutter. <laughs> but after an hour or so and the sun's a little bit higher, now, you know, the angle I'm having to hold the camera means that I have to, I have to get to my seat all the way down and I can barely see the LCD screen at all. And uh, just to just to, you know still find the sun, and I I was still doing okay, you know, until that point. Right when uh, you know, and so there were a lot of things that happened right when uh, uh, when I saw the shadow start to come. So you know, obviously, you know, obviously know where the shadow is going to be. I actually had on, on my, my moving map on the on the on the jets uh, moving map. You know, I had I had this orbit kind of set up running north south. And I put the uh, a different file that showed the actual route that the shadow was going to be taken. Right, you know, and overlaid it on that on map. No. So I knew I wanted to be staying around that that path, you know, around that where the shadow was going to start going. But like when I from when I saw the shadow kind of coming across the Pacific Ocean, um, it, it all happened like faster than. Than I thought, you know, and and I think you know, you get a little bit of that time dilation, but it it all just seemed to kind of be a blur, and and I knew like like oh crap, I need to be turning the plane, you know, because I'd had this whole shot kind of lined up in my head uh, to uh, kind of have the jet pointed a little bit kind of to the north northeast, so I'd be able to look out the front right quadrant of the canopy as the shadow goes by, get the sun, you know, and the shadow on the ground and yeah, you know, my, my grand plan was I wanted to get that good, nice wide angle shot uh, that had the sun in it, eclipse, uh, and get a nice zoomed in look right at the right at the sun with the sun fully eclipsed. And uh, and at, at some point, right right when the sun was going to eclipse, is when I think I hit that switch on the back, and suddenly <laughs> I, I suddenly I couldn't find the sun anymore. You know, and at first <laughs> at first I was like, you know, I was like, oh shit, and, and the uh, so the funny thing is too, I, I had a I had a GoPro on me the whole time, uh, right it, It's an old GoPro. It was like GoPro two, Hero two. I was mainly using it for sound, uh, but it was also running on me. Like and so in that video, like in the sound of it, you just hear me cursing repeatedly during this during the whole time through <laughs> the so That's like what did you do do during the Great American Clips? I I must have said shit in all different words at least you know. several dozen times so that's that's what I did but uh, that's great but you know so it's like so I can't I can't find the sun anymore and then and then I was like I had this epiphany I was like oh it still has a solar filter on it let me take that off boom I take off like still can't find the sun like what is going on and uh the uh you know so so I really I uh I'm like okay I, I I know it's very unlikely with this fully at the 400 millimeter zoom to actually capture the sun, just shooting from the hip. Uh, so I, I brought it back to about 200 millimeters or something like that and just started taking a lot of photos. And, but every single photo I'm taking is just, just the screen is black, you know, and I'm, and I'm just, I'm like starting to curse more. And then at some point during that, I realized that I knocked down my, my wide angle camera, which was set up, you know, it was kind of set up in a really, in retrospect, kind of a poor uh, Poor man's uh, mount to uh, try to hold it up and to get that wide-angle shot that I was looking for. Uh, I knock that down where I'm getting just ha- I'm getting like literally half canopy and half sky outside. And, uh, <laughs> and then you know, and, and I'm just going crazy. I'm like, oh crap! And, I, and right as I like, I pick that camera back up and kind of reset it in position. I see the the bright part of the sun come out again, and I was literally just like, oh it's over. Like, literally, you know, it's over. I actually can't catch the shadow. It's moving over a thousand miles an hour. And that's it. That was, you know, that was my big, that was my big chance. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I mean, I was literally just, like, like, I don't know, kind of dumbfounded for a little bit, and uh, just still thinking I, I I, just completely screwed it away. And, uh, and you know, and eventually, I'm I you know I decided okay I'm still going to keep trying to shoot the sun because I, I had in my head the whole time I was, like I was gonna I was gonna get the different phases of the eclipse on both sides which is what I, I eventually got uh, you know but in the middle I wanted that big incredible shot of the eclipse sun where you can see the corona the streamers coming out and everything like that
1: the diamond and, ring
0: yeah yeah. The, yeah the beautiful diamond ring you know I had in my head I was going to capture all that stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, and, and, I'm, and, and as I kind of turned back towards Beale and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep shooting the sun. And it was when I, when I tried to shoot the sun again and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I still can't find the sun, even though I'm not like in a rush now. I'm not, you know, and the sun is back bright again, put the solar filter on, I'm like, okay, I can't, I just can't find the sun again. And then it was something I was like, I, I saw that switch and I flipped it and suddenly there was the sun. And I was like, "You got to be shitting me! Like, oh, really, really?" And I would, I you know, if you just imagine the guy alone in, in a spacesuit and a helmet, and I'm banging my head, uh, like just hitting my hands, just cursing, just I'm like, "Really?" I just did all that, and you know, yeah, you know, and then you know, so I'm still trying to shoot the sun, and then you know, uh, every few minutes or so to get a, get it as the sun, the, the sun is being the. The eclipse is going away, and uh, in, you know in between I'm checking the I'm checking back over my photos I took during the eclipse and it's just like black screen black screen black screen like ah you know and the uh, you know and then I go to the I go to my my wide angle camera that was still set up and I go back to its its photos I'm like well I wonder at what point I I I knocked this down and uh, and yeah it was pretty much right after I made the turn uh, to let the shadow overtake me is when that fell down I'm like well great most of my wide angle shots are absolute shit too (laughs) and uh and it was just it was the most like dejected feeling when I came back to land and because I knew everyone knew my I was doing the eclipse flight and you know it was it was even on our schedule you know uh you know Ross (laughs) did the eclipse flight and um and you know everyone met me, you know, and like like oh man, can we can we see the photos stuff? I'm like now nah, I'm I'm gonna have to I'm to have to put them together. They're you know. <laughs> I, I was just yeah, it was it was one of the worst feelings, like just thinking like man, I, I just spent you know a couple of years of thinking about this and planning it, and I probably just screwed it all. <laughs> but, uh, but you know it was I mean when it when I took it home, so I, I, I used Lightroom, and uh, you know I downloaded all the photos in and. Uh, you know, there were probably something like fifty, fifty of the photos that I took during the eclipse with that, uh, with the zoom lens, and I think it, it was on a Nikon D810, I think, uh, the one that I was probably, and uh, it, uh, when I put it in there, obviously all of them look black on the screen, and then I basically set a, a filter to, or you know, applied a thing that raised the brightness of all of them. Mm. And then there would end up being about three who are actually captured in the sun. And those are actually some of the ones the diamond ring and a little bit of the one you know that went into my final photo. Yeah. Uh, in the end. And uh that that final photo fo- the, the wide angle part of that final photo was was one of the shots right after I realized that my wide angle lens was pointed at the canopy right after I lifted it back up, right as the sun was coming out. And so that that photo actually has the uh it the, the composite it's masked with the kind of the 13 uh, sun composite over it but in that the actual photo has the sun right as it's coming out of the eclipse and uh, you know and it, 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 that's it was a pretty cool photo in itself too. yeah and I decided I, I kind of blackened that out and then I made that that kind of that string of the 13 different pictures of the sun and just kind of compiled those in and, and you know I realize now like there's a lot of things I, I I would do differently when I made that composite. Um, it was literally something I did uh, at uh, in about 30 minutes on Photoshop that night, oh, and wow. I was just I was just wanting to get something out there. I was having people text me, people write me on Facebook and stuff. And they're like, like you you can't keep us in suspense. You gotta you gotta gotta give us something. <laughs> yeah, and and. Uh, I think Ooh, one look, I person. I you too. I keep secrets, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one one person even put on Facebook. They're like, like, look, every every single person is only online right now, just waiting for you to put some photos out. Of, you know, uh, this. Like, all <laughs> oh, right, yeah. You know, Thanks for uh, not putting any pressure on me or anything like that.
1: Yeah, you know? what, what what's all that about? You don't rush an artist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like,
0: I'm an artiste here. <laughs> I'm literally just making some stuff up now. I'm trying to. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> Trying to pass it off, but no, it, uh, um, yeah, no, it it, it it, was still, you know, it's still one of those just kind of surreal experiences, and, and it did happen so fast, and, you know, and I was, I've had people, you know, it's like, like, well, why don't you just go and, you know, why do you have to take photos of this stuff, why don't you just go and enjoy it and stuff, and, like, I could, um, but I don't, it's not the way I'm wired, you know, it's like, I, it, even now, it's like, I, I can look at my photos, I can look at the video and stuff like that, and kind of relive it myself and it's not just not just memories I have and you know it's like I it actually helps me to remember um you know the things that happened during the middle of it stuff like that so um yeah uh, and and then I I then get to share it with others too and that's always kind of been my goal with with the photography up there is because it's like I want to be able to share this with people and and this experience and that's that's pretty much why, why I got into shooting photos in the first place
1: Right, that's awesome. You're preaching to the choir here, and I I think I speak for everyone when I say thank you for sharing everything that you've done. Because otherwise, we wouldn't get to experience things like you know. I mean, you're you're sitting in a seat a dozen miles high. You see the curvature of the Earth, the halo of the atmosphere, the glint of sunlight off an entire ocean. Uh, like entire storm systems reach their peaks thousands of feet below you. Like yeah, you know I I know the focus of the the flights is you know usually the mission, but. Uh, Like, have you had situations where you have time to, like, reflect and ponder and marvel at the insane position you're in up there?
0: You know, I I did that all the time. Um, And, uh, you know, because there were definitely uh, – our missions were kind of all kind of different breeds. And uh, there there were some missions where I'm I'm just literally busy from the time I get over a combat area or whatever until the time I –
1: it totally and, makes uh, sense,
0: you know, and 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 I haven't tested camera um, in that, but you know, there's a there's a lot of kind of peaceful times, and, and especially if you're droning to and from an up a, a area, um, and uh, the uh, I you know sometimes I, I would just I would just kind of stare out the window, and uh, you know w- one of the things that when I was in, when I did physics at the academy, I, I specialized in light and optics. And, uh, you know, at the time I wasn't a photographer, I didn't really know much about it, but you know, I think the photography for me kind of brings a lot of that back and, you know, and cause I, you know, like when I would stare out the window and you would see this, you know, kind of thin blue atmosphere, but you know, when you're kind of staring at it and look at it, you can see the different layers of it. You can see different, different layers of blue and things like that. And, uh, and I, I would, you know, I'd literally sit there just kind of looking out and, and you know, still, you know, even the the photos really can't bring it justice, you know, what you actually see in your eye. But I, you know, that's one thing that I've tried to do, and you know, with, with the photography, yeah, so, I, I mean, I think to me that, yeah, you know, you know I definitely definitely sat there a lot of times just kind of pondering things and how, how it looked from that outfit. That's
1: that's awesome. I was uh, on, um, ExtremeRoss.com? Is that is that your site, right? ExtremeRoss.com? Yeah,
0: ExtremeRoss.com. Yeah, Extreme
1: um, I was uh, checking out your series of photos on the uh, Terminator, uh, or the literal dividing line between day and night. Yeah. Um, just absolutely breathtaking stuff. I encourage everyone to go check out ExtremeRoss.com. There are a whole bunch of these uh, stories and uh, photo galleries from things that none of us will ever see from that perspective. And I, I thought that was seeing from your perspective up there seeing the earth's shadow on its own atmosphere yeah uh was uh, it gave me chills like you were talking about earlier it's tremendous just tremendous stuff and i just wanted to first say thank you and also like you know is is there anything related to that that, that you can bring any revelations you've had or um anything like that um you know, it,
0: uh, I don't know, I, to me, it's, uh, it, it kind of, uh, it reflects a a lot of what the same thing that you would hear from, like, astronauts um, who go into space, and, and I actually did, a, uh, I got a master's degree in space studies, and one of the courses was about the experience of space, essentially, and it, in reflected in their own words and things like that. Um, the astronauts who orbited the Earth and those who pinched the Moon and stuff like that. And uh, you know, they and the main term they they use for it is called the overview effect. And there's a book by uh, Frank White uh, who wrote about this because he interviewed um, you know a lot of the the Apollo astronauts and uh, all the astronauts since then. Uh, about their experience and cosmonauts and things like that and it's kind of a universal thing it didn't matter you know country borders or where you're from where you're raised um pretty much everyone had the same kind of feeling of like all right, you know I'm part of you know this larger earth you know and you know this it's a beautiful earth you know it's and you could be over the most dangerous you know territory in the world and when you're seeing it from 70,000 feet it it still looks beautiful you know and um you know, there were a lot of times flying over Afghanistan like that. I'm like, man, that, that looks like an excellent place for a ski resort. Um, but, you know, <laughs> too bad everyone wants to kill me there. Um, but, you know, the, uh, uh, it, you know, I think I think for me, you know, it, uh, I really kind of felt that same thing, where you, you kind of feel, the, you know, it, the kind of further away you get from the Earth, the more you feel connected to it. Um, and the more you feel connected to being a part of the Earth you know, and experience on. So, uh, that's I, cool. I think I definitely, you know, felt a little bit of that, uh, same kind of feeling, that, you know, that some of these, you know, gr- you know, astronaut grades and stuff that I talked about. Uh,
1: and, uh, yeah. So, yeah. That's, um, seeing your Northern Lights photo kind of, it brought home to me the idea that, uh, you know, even though you're still, you know, flying through air, even though it's really thin, um, kind of seems like you're just up in space. Like you're amongst the Aurora Borealis. Yeah. Um, man. do you want to talk about that flight a little bit, that Northern lights?
0: Um, yeah, that, um, I'm, I'm going to write a whole thing. I, I still, haven't done it. I'm, I'm going to write a whole thing on, on the, that whole experience, but, cool. um, so that, that flight was kind of the culmination for me and, um, I, I had never done that, that flight before. It was, it was a ferry flight for um, moving the YouTube uh, to another location. Um, I, knew, I knew guys who had done it. It was one, kind of one of those things like, why haven't I done this and, you know, flying YouTube for 13, 14 years and I still haven't done that. Um, but, you know, guys who had done it had talked about, like, how incredible the lights were. And, uh, and, you know, I'd seen guys and they tried to take photos of it. Like, they're like, you know, there's really just no way capture what it's like, you know? And, uh, you know, I even had one of them tell me that like, there's really just no way from the jet you could actually capture what, you know, what the Northern lights were like flying, flying through it. And, uh, so, you know, that was years before I did it. And I kind of went out and made it my personal challenge that I was going to do that. And, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: almost everything that I was doing in the, in the jet was kind of a lead up to that, uh, that flight, and uh, I, I actually, you know like I, I bought my the gear that I'm using or the gear that I used in that flight. Uh, I bought several years beforehand with that with the goal in mind of doing the flights. Um, and because I knew I needed a camera that had better uh, sensitivity at night, uh, and I needed a lens that could open up wide and uh, capture a lot of light, you know, at a wide angle. Yeah. And, uh, and only have to be open for a second or so. Uh, you know, because you don't have the luxury like on the ground where you can set up on a tripod and you can <laughs> right. sit there and stabilize and do a, you know, 10, 20, 30 second exposure or whatever. Um, you know, you're in a shaking metal can and mm-hmm. uh, um, anything longer than a second or so and you're going to, uh, uh, it's just going to be, it's all going to be together. Uh, no matter what, you know, it, no matter if you have the best, mounting device or anything like that. So, uh, the, uh, so I, had, you know, I knew I needed the right equipment. Um, and uh, so I I, started, I I got that. I, uh, I, I worked a little bit on trying to do a time lapse uh, in the jet. And uh, that was another thing most guys had. You know, even the, the other YouTube photographers that I knew and stuff hadn't really done a lot of time lapse. And so I, I started working on different techniques for that. And uh, and shooting at night, and uh, so I, I did several flights kind of leading up uh, that uh, uh, where I worked on these different techniques, and uh, so when I finally got to fly that flight, um, I and I felt pretty ready to go out there. And this was also after my big failure of the, you know, failure in quotes, you know, of the <laughs> the, <laughs> of the eclipse flight. And uh, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to let anything like that happen again. And uh so so this time, you know, I had I had borrowed a uh I borrowed a, a, a nicer mount from actually another one of the public affairs guys, which reminds me I, I still have it in my closet. I probably should give it back now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's yours now. Yeah, yeah. Session something. Like um uh, but uh, the uh you know, so I had uh um I had this, you know, pretty nice mount. It could you know and I found a good spot, you know, with one of the one of the brackets in the canopy I can actually mount it to safely and, uh, and hold the camera in a good position. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be able to get some really cool, uh, time-lapse stuff with this. And, and I, and I already, even though I'd never actually flown this way, I didn't know really, really what to expect. I already had a, 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 uh, a storyboard of a movie I was going to make with the footage. And so I already had camera angles kind of worked out. Um, I had, you know, how many photos, because you know, it was all going to be time lapse, uh, you know, so I'm like, okay, this part of the, this part of the, uh, of the video, I'm going to have uh, about 10 seconds of kind of looking at the Aurora out like the front right window. And uh, so, you know, for 10 seconds of footage, I need at least 200, 240 pictures, you know, so I'm going to set the, you know, set my time lapse setting for this. And yeah, but you always know, want to get a little over, so you know I'll get 270 photos uh, during this this period of time and stuff. So I had all this stuff mapped out, uh, how how I was going to use the mount um, to capture all this time lapse. And again, I, I wasn't I I had a, a good idea of like uh, how many photos and kind of where I want to do them. I just I didn't know because I'd never photographed the one lights. I'd never even seen them. Uh, I didn't know what settings I was going to use on the camera. I knew it was going to be a short exposure, but uh, and I figured you know a full wide uh, aperture, yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't really know you know exactly the, the best way to go about it stuff like that. And uh, so I I, uh, I got everything set up and uh, and I got I got one you know time lapse sequence, and then the uh, I decided I was going to try to do something to get like a selfie initially uh, before I'd actually gone through. Uh, through them, and I took the mount off of where it was mounted from, and the screw came out and dropped to the floor. And, <laughs> oh, no. and uh, I was like, and, and I was, again, I was just like, you have, you got to shit me. Like, you know, because it's, it's night, you know, it the, uh, you know, things that drop to the floor, they're, like, we, we actually have, like, a little grabber tool, like, most guys are carrying. If you can see it, you know, like, you drop a pencil, and you can see it by your feet, you can kind of grab it with this little grabber tool, because there's no way you're getting down. You can't actually reach down and reach it. They say like monkey arms or something like that. But the, uh, um, yeah, but, but this, this screw like fell into like the dark of this, uh, underneath the seat. And I'm like, you know, and and it was essentially what held the camera, held the camera to the mount. So i man, I was just like, God, you really just (laughs) started this. And yeah. And, uh, So you know, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna have to try to freehand uh, all this stuff, and uh, um, and I gotta say that like the the eclipse was, was like really fast and it was really cool. Like this was kind of like a, a slow onset of you know just a little bit more and more incredible lights, and incredible show. It was you know like the first time I, I saw the the northern lights, and, and I already I already kind of knew like where to expect it because. It's not like the Northern Lights are just a, uh, they just pop up wherever, you know, they, they follow pretty much a, a set ring around, you know, the magnetic north pole right. And uh, um, you, know, you can look on the NASA site and stuff like that. And you, you can, you know, and it, and it wasn't forecasting any kind of special kind of Northern Lights or anything for that night. Um, but I at least knew like where, like, okay, I'm, I'm when I get into kind of mid, mid Canada, you know, just below Hudson Bay, I should start seeing it off to my left. And I did, you know, and, that, and, but, you know, in the first couple pictures I got of it, um, you know, at first, it, you know, it's kind of far off and it kind of looks like a gray haze in the atmosphere. And, and I got my camera and I got it so and I took the picture and I saw the result on the screen and I saw this nice green kind of curtain and I was like, yes, I, I got it. You know, like, <laughs> like it's, this is going to be awesome, you know? And then, you know, I kept getting closer and closer. And then like, as I got into it, it like it just exploded. It was like fireworks uh, around me is, you know, with the, uh, with the greens and pinks and, you know, blues and stuff like that. And, 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 it was really, it was vivid to my eye, you know, it wasn't just vivid to the camera and uh, like, you know, and so it was kind of good in a way that I, 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 was freehanding it cause I was kind of capturing stuff on both sides of the jet. I wasn't having to maneuver, you know, some kind of mouth to, to get it. Um, it. It didn't work out as far as like the, the whole plan for, I had for, Doing a full time lapse movie, but I was still able to uh, freehand sometimes, which was you know something I, I had never tried to do. But I, uh, you know, I, I had to lower it down to you know the instead of a second, you know, lowered it to about a, uh, about, a about a fifth of a second uh, exposure, and uh, still with the wide aperture, and uh, and it was still capturing. It was bright enough. It was still capturing enough detail, and I'm just I'm just had it on continuous. Burst and I'm just holding down the, the shutter while I'm trying to just <laughs> hold as steady as possible. You know, because I like, I kind of knew, like, yeah, okay, the northern lights, they kind of move, but kind of, and I had this idea that it was going to be this, like, kind of nice little wavy slit. And, like, they were fast. I was like, I was surprised at how fast, how rapidly they were changing. It was, just, it was just burst after burst. And then they're changing and, and going away and coming and going. It's just, you wow. know, swir- swirling around. It was just like, it was incredible. And, uh, <laughs> What's well, funny is that, uh I, on this this flight we actually we brought like a GPS tracker uh, with us i pr- i probably had about 6 gps zones besides just the aircraft gps but uh, the uh we we had a one of the uh, garmin garmin connect or something like that it, it, garmin home that uh allowed you to actually connect to it with like our iPad. So I have, a, I have an iPad like, um uh, and, and it connects to the satellite. You can actually text through it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's mainly used to make sure you're in contact with the downrange pilot that's going to be catching you in the chase car. Um, and uh, they can track your progress, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, but I, I text my wife through it. And she's like, this is amazing, you know. And she's like, Yeah, hey, I'm already in bed. Thanks. But... Um, <laughs> you know, so, um, but <laughs> The, uh, but I mean, it it was it was just incredible, and I would say that you know just as far as uh, just your experiences like that, that you know, and, and it lasted for a while. It was it was you know at least an hour and a half of, of northern light stuff. And it was funny, like one one of my one of the more iconic photos, I guess, if you caught it kind, but one of the more pass around photos that I've had uh, was like the selfie of me with the northern lights in the background. And I, uh, I actually had no plans to even get any of those until I was already through the Northern Lights, and I was like, oh, "Well, why, why didn't I, why didn't I do try to do a selfie?" And, uh, <laughs> um, and you know, the first twenty or so attempts really didn't yield good results because uh, you know now you know I, I had everything set for pretty much looking out to infinity uh, with mm. the wide, with the wide aperture, and uh, now I'm going to try to freehand. Shooting myself with this Nikon D- D750, that I have, uh, you know, and somehow get myself in focus and the Northern Lights in focus behind me, uh, you know, which is going to require a, a smaller aperture, to be able to be able to get both in focus, which, but that's then going to require longer shutter time and stuff like that. So, it, yeah, you know, it's it's such a, a balance when you when you're when you're very limited as far as how long you can actually keep the shutter open and, and get a useful photo. Yeah, you know, it's a very much you know compromised. So it took it took a lot of attempts, and then uh, I was able to then combine several of those as a composite photo, just kind of like I did with the eclipse. Uh, yeah, but because uh, you couldn't really capture all that, you, even with the wide angle sixteen millimeter wide angle, you, you just couldn't capture it all. Um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, so I did a lot of the, you know kind of stitching together in the white
1: Photoshop. So, uh, For sure.
2: The result of that selfie shot, though, was absolutely incredible. That is <laughs> I totally agree Definitely with one of my favorite YouTube photos of all time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same. Absolutely. I think that's a a good spot to kind of leave it off here. I feel like we could talk for another five or six hours <laughs> just on the <laughs> photography aspect, and we didn't even really get into a lot of the the YouTube stuff. But that's that's fine. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, hey, uh, thanks a lot for having me. Though. It's been uh, it's a good time. I enjoy, I enjoy talking about it. You know, if you guys want another time, uh, you know, I mean, I'm always up for, up for
1: shit, shit with the back studio about photography. Oh, cool. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, I'd like to encourage everyone once again to check out ExtremeRoss.com and make sure to follow him on Instagram at ExtremeRoss. And with uh, that, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Full Disc Aviation is a group of aviation photographers and enthusiasts that are passionate about sharing our love for aviation with you. Visit our website at FullDiscAviation.com for exclusive interviews, stories, and photo galleries, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for frequent content updates. Also, please leave us a review in iTunes. We always welcome any feedback that can improve the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. And don't forget, Full Disc begins at 1 60th.